Word for today, a ministry of Living Word Lutheran Church in Egan, Minnesota. It is our prayer that the message from God's Holy Word would bring a new and deeper love for Jesus in your life. Welcome to Living Word Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Nathan Olson. It's a blessing and a joy to be with you today and sharing God's Word with you. Here at our church, we believe that every single time we open up the Word of God, that something miraculous takes place. See, this isn't like any other ordinary book we'd find on our shelf, but we believe this is God's Word, inspired, inerrant, and true from cover to cover. And so because of those convictions, we come with an expectancy today that God is going to work through His Word to speak to our hearts and lives and point us to our Savior Jesus. Would you pray with me as we come to the Word of God today? Heavenly Father, we just submit our lives to You now. We ask that as we come and, and center our time here on your word, that you would speak to our hearts. We trust that this is a miraculous encounter with your word and your spirit, O oh God. And so we ask that you would work as you promised to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Right now at our church, we're going through the book of Job. And Job is probably one of maybe the more familiar Old Testament characters. Uh, someone who you probably have least heard of or known and the reason for that is that he's a man who was pretty well off, had a good reputation, uh, had many riches and was pretty wealthy. But more importantly than all that, he walked with God. And he had a close relationship with the Lord. He, he was a very devout in his faith and followed the Lord amidst many, many things. But particularly, followed the Lord even amidst suffering. Last week, we kind of did an introduction to Job and looked at him as someone who feared the Lord and walked in his ways as a righteous man. And today, as we get into the book of Job, we're going to be looking at the next little segment here, chapters 1 and 2, where Job then indeed loses everything he has. And we're kind of asking the question in this, is God good if you lose everything you have? Can that even happen to someone who's a God follower or fearing the Lord? And is God just if that happens? That's where we're going to be going today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Job chapter 1, starting there at verse 6. We see the beginning of the end of Job's possessions, everything about ready to be stripped away. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God, or in this case the angels as they're called here, they came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. We have a picture here kind of presented of a heavenly courtroom. You have God and the angels that are there. You have even the accuser, Satan, who is brought into this heavenly courtroom. And we don't necessarily understand why Satan is allowed here, but we see in a couple different other passages in Scripture that it seems like Satan has had different opportunities to appear before God for the purpose of accusing God's people of sin or finding some fault. In Zechariah 3.1, we find a vision of Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan on his right hand accusing him. Uh, Revelation 12.10 identifies Satan as the accuser of the brethren, quote, who accused them before our God day and night. So apparently Satan has some ability as the accuser to bring accusations even in the courtroom of God. And the Lord says to Satan, verse 7, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Now, Satan, in falling from heaven, 
And being cast down is described in this way as a, a wanderer on the earth. But not just wandering aimlessly, but instead wandering to devour. First Peter talks about it in this way in verse 8 of chapter 5. Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Uh, this angel, that's what Satan used to be, an heavenly archangel, now cast down and, and, and banished from his position that he had had before. And now his lot is to go to and fro on the earth awaiting a final judgment. And in this time that he's waiting, he's doing everything he can to undo God's plan, to accuse those who are the brothers that we have in the faith. He is looking for people to devour, it says in 1 Peter 5. And so the Lord says to Satan, verse 8, Well, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth. He's blameless. He's righteous. He's an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So you have this little um, almost sarcastic parody here between God and Satan where Satan comes, he appears before the heavenly courtroom and the Lord says to Satan, you know, uh, if you're going to try to pick on somebody, you should really, you know, pick on, pick on Job. You know, he's upright and blameless. Are, are you really going to be able to turn his heart away from me? Turn it toward evil? And Satan answers the Lord, verse 9, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Here we get a little bit of a glimpse of Satan's cynicism. You see, Satan has this belief that if Job is blessed by God, then Job will be faithful and follow God. But if Job is not blessed by God, then Job would be unfaithful. In other words, Job doesn't love God for his own sake, but just because of what God gives to Job. And, and maybe you've experienced that kind of, of life in the world today. There are people who are maybe just in a relationship to get something out of it. Uh, we sometimes colloquially call those gold diggers, right? You have someone who's in a relationship with someone else. They're not really interested in the relationship. They're interested in the person's wealth. But if that wealth was to go away, the person wouldn't be interested in the relationship any longer. That's what Satan thinks is in the heart of Job. Job is fine following after the Lord. He's fine being faithful to God insofar as he gets something back in return. That God is blessing Job, watching out for him, etc. But if all of that went away, then Job would harden his heart or not love God. And so he challenges God for this. And God says, okay, let's, let's test. Let's see Knowing the heart of Job, knowing his faithfulness to God, uh, somehow Satan gets this idea that he's going to outsmart God on this one, but that's just, uh, that's just not possible. Uh, God is omniscient. He knows all things. He even knows the heart of Job. But Satan is determined to try to pull a fast one on God. You know, he goes out from the presence of the Lord, and we see that Job loses everything that he has. Everything is stripped away and taken from him. 
Verse 13. There was a day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, you know, at that moment, at the same time, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. In a matter of just maybe 60 seconds, Job hears simultaneously from all of these different servants that everything that he has is now gone. Everything that he had, all, all of the things that he looked at as part of his household or possessions, have all been stripped away. And, and the imagery that we're getting here um, on this, while he was yet speaking, while he was yet speaking, it's, there's a constant bombardment of interruptions of just one negative thing after another negative thing after another negative thing. It's not like Job is finding all of this out in a span of hours, even. This is in a span of just very short succession. All of these things stripped away in an instance. And you can, you feel for the guy. You're just like, man. How, how would it feel to just get gut punch after gut punch after gut punch, losing every single thing that you had an affection for or that you had begun to accumulate, and all of a sudden, it's gone? Uh, maybe some of you have been in those instances before, where all the things that you held in one moment were taken away from you, it seemed. Or, or maybe not quite to the extent of Joe, but negative thing after negative thing after negative thing. Disaster, the bottom of the pit of despair, just not a great place to be for this guy. But what does Job do? It's often said that you can see the measure of a man by looking at how he walks through trials. What does Job do after getting all of this news? It says in verse 20, Then Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground, and he worshipped. He lifted up his eyes to the Lord. Even amidst losing all the things that he had, he lifted up his eyes to the Lord to worship God. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. I want you to just stop and think about how profound this is. Here you have a man who, who loses everything. Everything is stripped away from him. I, I can't imagine how devastating that would feel. Even just one of these things would be enough to push most people over the edge. And Job's reaction is not complaining, bickering, accusing, getting angry. His reaction is simply to say, the Lord has given to me, the Lord has taken away, but I am going to bless the Lord. 
He falls down and he worships the Lord. And he does not charge God with sin or with wrongdoing. And Job himself, it says in verse 22, did not sin. And so, we think about the, uh, the grand courtroom scene, the heavenly courtroom. God won, Satan zero. Uh, God, he knew that his man was going to stand the test. Uh, he knew the heart of Job, one who loved him and feared him, and despite Satan's best efforts, didn't affect the heart of this man of faith. And there ends chapter 1. Chapter 2, we get another heavenly courtroom scene. It says, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. So, same kind of thing again, right? And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Verse 3, The Lord said to Satan, Well, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And it's almost a little bit sarcastic back at Satan here from God, being like, you know, yeah, I know you tried this guy before, and it just seems like you keep swinging and missing, striking out on him. Have you thought about him? I know everything's gone, he's been all taken away, but yet he's still praising the Lord. He's remaining faithful in his faith. It says there in verse 3, he still holds fast his integrity, Although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Satan responds to the Lord in verse 4 and says, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. Satan's cynicism here is that he believes that Job's going to value his life more than the relationship with the Lord. Maybe it's one thing to lose his stuff, but if the Lord allowed him to be suffering physically, then Job would renounce belief in the Lord and surely throw up his hands and give up. No one would be able to follow the Lord if such personal sacrifice was required. And so Satan proposes another test. Stretch out your hand, Touch his bone and flesh, and then his faith will diminish. And the Lord says to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand. Only spare his life. And so, Satan goes out from the presence of the Lord, verse 7, and he strikes Job with a loathsome sore from the sole of his foot to the very top of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. And his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now think about you know, where Job is at now. Not only had he previously been in the pit of despair, where he had literally lost everything that he owned, everything that he loved, everything that he cared for, but now he's being even pushed further into a place of just a horrible setting. He's now gotten inflicted with this horrible disease, you know, a Satan-inflicted disease of loathsome sores all over his body. Uh, it's like a chicken pox on steroids, almost, it sounds like. And, and he is in such agony and pain that he's literally scraping his, himself with pottery. You know, just it, trying to get some relief, trying to just scrape the itchies that are there all over him. 
And, and on top of this, as he's you know, just extremely uncomfortable and in pain, his wife is coming to him. Not to encourage him, not to support him, but in, instead to, to challenge and accuse him, even to his death. You know, are you still going to hold fast your integrity? How about you just curse God and die? I.e., Job, how about you just end this? How about you just end your life right now? You know, curse God, get this over with, call it done. You can, you just picture the torment of this man. Everyone's against him. Who, who, who does he have who is on his side? But what does Job do? Does he curse God? Does he abandon his faith? No. Instead, he is reminded of who's on his side. It's the Lord God Almighty. Verse 10, he says to his wife, You speak as one of the foolish women. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. He remains steadfast in his integrity. He remains steadfast in his faith. He doesn't accuse God or challenge him. But instead, he perseveres in his faith of the Lord. Again, God now to Satan zero. We see that despite Satan's best efforts to foil Job and, and to have him denounce his faith, we see that Job remains steadfast to follow the Lord. How do you respond to trials when they come your way? How do we respond when everything seems like it's going bad? How do we act in our life when it, life just seems so sad? Is God still good? Is he still worth trusting? Even if we find ourselves in the pit of despair and in utter agony. Pretty much all of chapter 1 and chapter 2 is a story of Job being asked those questions. Being faced with that reality. He loses all that he has. And even the, the woman that he's married to, she's given up. She's lost it. She's been pushed over the edge. But for Job, his faith in God has been preserved. He continues to trust in the Lord and in the sovereignty of God and trusting his life to the Lord even in these things. What does it look like for you when you face those trials? Who are you entrusting your soul to? You see, the reality is that each of us are entrusting our soul to something, just a matter of what it is. Uh, we entrust our, our, our lives, our souls, oftentimes to ourselves. We are our master. We are um, relying on ourselves for our abilities. But sometimes we entrust them to others, even people who are professionals in a field, so to speak. Uh, we allow our, our life to be directed by them. But what Job does here that I really appreciate is that he just continues to entrust his life to God. Even when things look bleak, even when things aren't able to be clearly perceived necessarily of what's going on, he entrusts his life to the Lord, knowing that God is in control and that Job does not deserve any of the things that he has. Now, maybe you're sitting here and thinking, well, certainly he does. He worked hard for them. He was a farmer. He's taking care of all these things. These are his stuff. Job recognizes that anything that he has is from God. Any blessing that, he's, that he has is something that he's received. And so he just simply just puts his life in God's hands and says, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you in this. 
And for those of you who are listening to this message, I wonder what it would look like for you to do the same with your life. To just say, God, I don't always know what's going on. I don't always know why the things happen as they do, but I'm making a choice to trust you with my life. I'm putting my life in your hands, God, and would you have your way with me? Would you have your way with my life? And even if there's some ups and downs along the way, I know that you've got me and know that you have a perfect plan for what is ahead. And as I think about really a heart of doing that or picture of that, I really think a lot about our Lord Jesus. He is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's ahead. You know, it's for Job. Job didn't know, but Jesus did. He knew what was coming. He knew what was ahead. The cross, the flogging, the, the, the beating, all of it. And what does he do in his prayer? He says, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. You think about praying something like that individually as we think about walking through life. It's a prayer that just holds our life very loosely and entrusts it to the care of God. And as you think about walking through your own life, friends, and encountering struggles of various kinds, I would encourage you with the words of our Lord Jesus to entrust your life to the one who is watching over you and the one who has given his all for you. A very, a very good one to trust. Not just your creator, but your redeemer. The one who has suffered for you. Probably a good idea to entrust your life into his hands. But so often we do the opposite. We run away, we hold on to our life, we just blame God for the things not going as we want them to. But for Job, he blesses the name of the Lord. God, you are good, even if I don't always see it right now. God, you are faithful to me, even if right now I feel let down. God, I'm going to trust you in your justice that it's perfect, even when the world seems shaky around me. And perhaps that prayer is one that needs to be prayed by us too, friends. That we would be relying on God and trusting in his sovereignty and his control, even when our life is maybe out of control. And that's my hope for you as a pastor. As you think about the story of Job here, that it wouldn't just be a nice story about a guy who trusted in the Lord amidst suffering, but that this would be a reflection of your story too. That you would be entrusting your soul to the one who loves you and gave himself for you, knowing that he has a plan for you. A plan not for your harm or dismay, but for all eternity to be made right in his eyes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the story of Job. I pray, Lord, that you would help it not to just be a, a story that we're hearing as we walk through the series, but Lord, that we would also personalize this, that we would also think about how our lives are entrusted to something or someone, and that we would entrust our lives to you as the one who loves us and cares for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, if you are impacted by the message you heard, please consider donating to the Ministry of Living Word Lutheran Church by visiting www.livingwordaflc.org.